Get ready for winter driving at Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers with super deals on tires, including up to $200 on new Goodyear tires, plus oil changes, brakes, batteries, and more. For value and savings, click on gotodobbs.com today. Time now for the Danny Mac Show with BK, getting you inside the cards and St. Louis sports on 101 ESPN. Pitch, curveball, and it's lined in a right of base hit. Michael Brantley doing Michael Brantley things in to score Maldonado. It is five to one Astros. 48 ERA is the first pitch that he throws to Jose Altuve is cranked out of the ballpark. Hit it down the left field line for a home run to extend the lead, and it is seven to two for the Astros. The two-two swing and a miss, and it's over. Braveman with a 1 2 3 ninth inning, and the Houston Astros play a much better game than they played in game one. The Braves start slowly, commit a couple of errors. The Astros win 7 2, and the World Series is even at a win apiece. And now they head to Atlanta. Danny Mac show on a Thursday. That's BK. I'm Dan McLaughlin. Game three tomorrow, and it'll be Luis Garcia of Houston, Ian Anderson of Atlanta heard some of the the big hits in that game but to me the game was won with a lot of small ball and uh, one of the key plays in the game was Siri all of a sudden getting down the line one of the fastest players in baseball beats out uh, what would have been an out and changing the complexion of an inning and then Houston is able to, to tack on after that he went one for four with three strikeouts but I thought that was the biggest hit in the game even more so than Altuve's home run and uh, that was the difference and we've got a series now tied one game apiece also some shoddy defense from yes. Atlanta surprisingly so they're a team that has been really good defensively they completely changed everything they do on that side of the ball in about mid-May they started shifting a lot they went from one of the lowest shift rates in all of baseball to, the to most one of the highest in all of baseball and then suddenly you saw the number shift they went from being one of the worst def- defenses in baseball to one of the five best defenses in the sport uh, last night was weird it was uncharacteristic from the brave side of things and they just from the very beginning were clearly outplayed in that one the first two games have been over basically right as they began yeah. And that's that's maybe my biggest takeaway in this is this is going to be a good series. I think it's going to be a long series, not breaking any news there to anybody. We're tied one one after two, but we haven't had a good game yet. So I'll be interested to see what it looks like once we get to Atlanta. So this is a general point uh, question. I, I just don't know if you can shift with everyone. And my point is, is that the numbers bear it out that when a guy is letting it rip, More times than not, he's going to put it on the ground, left side, right side. I get why you shift. But there are certain hitters that I watch, and I think the pendulum will shift as younger players get into the game, and they've been dealing with it since Little League High School, College, Minor Leagues. They learn to hit against the shift. But we're still in that kind of the the transition phase to get to them because a lot of players didn't have to deal with this when they first started, or if they did, it was limited. And the point I'm trying to make is like a Yuri Gurriel I don't think I can shift against him. He, he's such a good hitter that he'll make an adjustment against the shift. I, so I understand what the numbers say, and I understand they bear out more success than not, but there are certain guys, as me as a person watching the game and seeing how guys are attacked and then how they make an adjustment, 
I just don't want to shift against. And I, I, and I guess that's the gut of the manager, but I the, the numbers bear out to say shift. They might. I'm not even sure they do against him because he's oh he's like 500 against the shift. It's ridiculous. Like I, I I understand that people are doing it against them, so there must be something there that I can't see by just going over to FanGraphs and looking at where he's hitting the ball. But if you're looking at his directional stuff, like he would be the last guy in all of baseball, maybe that I would shift. So I don't totally understand it. Yeah, I mean, he won the batting title. and He's batting seventh in this lineup for the Astros. They're pretty so good. They happen to have a very good offense. Um, and last night they got the best of the Braves. And Dan, I wanted to bring up Jose Altuve with you as well. My goodness, is this guy an unbelievable baseball player? And it feels like every time we get to October, we're reminded because let's be honest, we're a National League city. I don't watch a ton of the Astros throughout the regular season, so I don't get to appreciate him the way that I do once we get to the postseason. My God, is he a fun player to watch? So now he has got um, 22 career playoff home runs. So hit one last night in the bottom of the seventh. To put that in perspective, he now has tied uh, Bernie Williams second most in the playoffs in the history of baseball. And home runs. <clears throat> I mean, that's that's amazing to me. I remember when Houston was rebuilding. They came through St. Louis, BK. And so this is probably seven, eight years ago. And the only guy that you looked at in that lineup, and he's five foot six, and you go, oh, that's the guy that's going to get you. And then you watched him play, and you said, okay, this guy that's can the guy flat out play. He can really play, man. And, uh, and that's the beauty, I think, also of the sport. What it reminds me every time that I see him, I do think of this. You can be fat, you can be skinny, you can be 6'10", and you can be 5'6". And there is a place for you in the game if you can play. And this guy can flat out play. Also, I'm also reminded in watching this World Series, and I'm with you, don't watch a lot of Houston Astros games. They play a lot of times at the same time, even though on the West Coast I'll see them. But I said at the very beginning of the playoffs, the one thing that we should not overlook is that they still have Altuve, Bregman, uh, Brantley, Correa. I mean, this lineup, Guriel, uh, Alvarez. I mean, I'm starting to list these guys and going, wow, this is really a good, good lineup. And we'll see if they can pitch because they've been dinged up with Grinky and Verlander and some of the others. Now McCullers is out. But the bottom line is it's still a lineup that is dangerous, man, really dangerous. So it, it really shouldn't be a surprise that we're seeing this team in postseason play. It's amazing. And they've done it for five years now, and they've been going through what is one of the best five-year stretches that I've seen in, in my lifetime, at least. You probably have to go back to, I mean, the, the Giants in the early 2010s and then the Cardinals in the mid-2000s and the Yankees in the early 2000s is probably the closest thing that we've had to this um, it, it's remarkable. And Dan on Jose Altuve, he's now tied for 10th all time in postseason history and hits as well yeah. with David Ortiz. How many I mean, has he got? He's got 88. He's seven now behind Albert Pujols for I, hits in a postseason career. I think Yachty is at like 100 or 101. 101. So. He's fifth on this list. Yeah. Number one, Derek Jeter, of course. He has 200. Second is Bernie Williams with 128. Yeah, it turns out Derek Jeter pretty good in the playoffs, but... Uh, it's a remarkable list, and Jose Altuve is starting to work his way up further and further. By the end of his career, he's probably going to finish top five. So with the Braves, now some intrigue with what's going on. You know Charlie Morton is out, and that's a guy that you could count on to make a start or even come in relief uh, in the World Series, but he's out with a broken leg. They had Max Freed going last night. Max Freed has been generally very good here down the stretch. He was one of the best pitchers in the second half of all of baseball. 
Um, now the, the question for Brian Snicker is, I've got my big four that they use in their bullpen. Does Jesse Chavez, like he did against the Dodgers, does he get a bullpen start? Do you feel comfortable against that lineup with a bullpen start, or are you just forced to do it? Because the Morton injury now really rears its ugly head. If you go up 2-0, you feel a lot more comfortable, but now you're tied going back to the ATL. Yeah, you're not in a good spot right now when it comes to your pitching side of things. They've got Anderson, it looks like, going in game three. I don't know what you do in game four. Yeah, that's the one. You're just, you're stuck. And so you, you... Game three almost becomes a must win for them in a lot of ways. And it's yeah. weird to say that, but it, it kind of has that feel. Cause if you go into game four and maybe it is Chavez that's going to start that game. I wouldn't feel great about that. Cause then you go into game five and your bullpens kind of shot. So it's, it's a very difficult spot. They had to feel great coming off of game one and how, how well they played in it coming off of game two. And this is what the playoffs is like. You go from the momentum of the highest of the highs and now the lowest of the lows. And it can happen really fast to you. So 1030, we're going to visit with Daniel Descalso, find out what uh, he's up to. Also his thoughts on Ali Marmol up uh, next uh, segment. We're going to talk about the Arizona fall league. There's some Cardinals really making some noise there and uh, it's exciting for the future. No doubt. Back to more of the Danny Mac show with BK on 101 ESPN. talking a lot about the Arizona Fall League and some of the prospects that are there for the Cardinals both position wise and pitching wise. Brian Walton is on uh, my website all the time scoopswithdannymack.com. We do a, a website every Wednesday throughout the season in the off season uh, and what he does, he's from thecardinalnation.com and he covers minor league baseball but uh, an, an, an emphasis on what's happening with the St. Louis Cardinals and he talked about uh, in yesterday's uh, edition on the website scoopswithdannymack.com about uh, what's happening with some of the, the younger players, and in particular the hitters of the Cardinals? Well, the hitters are doing exceptionally well, and the Cardinals have uh, four hitters down there. Uh, of course, Lars Nootbaar, who was the fourth outfielder to end the regular season, then Juan Yepes, who's a, a prospect first baseman, corner guy, uh, who has a very strong bat. Uh, Brendan Donovan, a very versatile infielder, outfielder who folks don't know too much about, but certainly could get in the picture during 2022. And then, of course, Nolan Gorman, who's the top position player prospect in the system. And all four of those guys are uh, hitting exceptionally well with OPSs over 1,000. Um, Newt Barr is among the league leaders in home runs. Yepes is leading the league in RBI. So the Cardinals hitters are having a nice showing for themselves. So I love hearing um, not about the RBIs, not about, even though I'm a big fan of runs batted in but right now as you well know and anybody who follows baseball it's about ops and if you have an ops over a thousand you're really doing something i mean that is major damage being done by that trio gorman Newbar, yepes and if you want to talk about the traditional stats gorman 375 a home run is driven in four Newbar, four home runs nine driven in 300 average yep has 361 three home runs he's driven in 14 <laughs> So as we talk about moving forward with the Cardinals next year and what your bench looks like, these guys aren't starters right now, but they're interchangeable parts potentially. And that's the question for me that I'd like to hear from John Mosellock and Michael Gersh and others. Are you comfortable? If you know you go into a season and your manager is going to be managing like uh, Gabe Kapler did with the Giants and guys are going to get plenty of at-bats, so it's not rotting on the bench. 
Are you better off in that scenario with those players doing that type of managing, or are you better off getting yourself veterans and proven guys and spending the money to do that with some of the guys that you mentioned yesterday and making sure that they continue to develop at the minor league level. And that's one of the things they're going to face this offseason. Yeah, it's also a question of just do you think they're ready? Like, are they ready for this? Because a guy like Juan Yepes, I don't know what his future holds in the major leagues, but it's okay. This is something that I think becomes a common misconception. It's okay for him to start out as a bench bat. You look over at what the Dodgers are doing. I mean, they had uh, Gavin Lux, who was one of the top, what, five or ten prospects in all of baseball. He became a bench bat for them when he first came up to the big leagues. Now, he hasn't become the player that many expected him to be, but it's okay to bring them up and have them start out slowly. And then eventually, if they show you that they are capable of more, maybe they do end up in a starting role. Maybe Juan Yepes becomes your designated hitter. I don't know if it'll be next year, but maybe by 2023, that's the plan. A guy like Lars Newtbar, I think his career trajectory is probably as a fourth outfielder as a left-handed bat. That's fine. That's that's a win with Lars Newbar. He wasn't expected to really contribute at the big league level. And now after a year of development, it looks like he's going to. Good work by the player development crew. And Nolan Gorman, if he comes up next year and he starts at second base against right-handed pitching and he's your designated hitter against lefties, again, that's fine. That's a that's a good year out of him. So I don't know how I don't know how certain they're going to be going to this offseason, Dan, that these guys are ready to go day one, the opening day for the Cardinals. But I think all three are going to contribute next year at the big league level. It's a matter of do you feel comfortable breaking camp with them or not? And on the pitching side, I think this has got me more excited than any of this because uh, there was some serious concern going on with Zach Thompson. Zach Thompson, obviously, you had the the missed minor league season. He was at the alternate site. And it, it was fine, but I mean, how, it, I, you have the measurables of spin rate and the, that kind of thing, but it's not live action. You're not facing somebody from another organization. So I, you know, I, I like the fact that you did the best you could with things shut down, but it is what it is. And then in spring training last year, he wasn't throwing many strikes. And then at Memphis, it was not good. However, towards the end of the year, something happened, something clicked. Now, whether he changed arm angle Um, whether there was something in his repertoire he's changed, I'm not so sure what it is. Uh, But he's figured something out to the point that he's putting up some pretty big numbers now at the Arizona Fall League. Zach is pitching in long relief down in Arizona and through eight innings has not allowed a run. Struck out 13 batters on just two hits. So is looking very good. The only challenge in in Zach's uh, showing so far is seven walks. But, um, you know, he's got a very, very strong showing so far uh, in the Arizona Fall League, and that's a very encouraging thing. So love the strikeouts, don't love the walks. It's a lot of walks for eight innings, seven in eight innings. But to the bigger point of this is that it's going in the right direction of seeing success, and he's healthy. He has had arm issues in the past. Even in college, he had some issues with that. So if you can get a healthy Zach Thompson going into spring training in a normal offseason – And all of a sudden, he's pitching lights out. And that happens with guys, especially young guys that have never been to the big leagues. They take that offseason. They work on things, body changes, whatever the case may be. They go to driveline. They go to these various spots and figure out that, oh, my arm angle is just slightly off. And they fix that. And then all of a sudden, it's the light switch goes on and they figure it out. That could be one of those guys that you're looking at next year. Yeah, and if he can help you in the bullpen, that's, once again, another win for this team because – I I don't know right now, at least going into the Arizona Fall League prior to seeing these numbers that he's putting up down there, I certainly, I can speak for myself, I wasn't anticipating him being a part of the big league club early on next year. I figured it'd be another year of development down in AAA. 
if he's ready to go and he can be a lefty coming out of your pin, that's a valuable commodity that this team no could question. absolutely use early on in the season. They they lacked some of that early on last year and it became an issue. And then finally they were able to get it with TJ McFarland, for example. So uh, they need somebody to fill that role, whether it be him, a veteran that they are able to bring in, that that's going to be an important piece to whatever their bullpen is next year. So Jordan Hicks, he was at the Arizona Fall League as well, and he was starting. He also was starting at the very end of the season with Memphis. Two games started, four and two-thirds, four hits, five earned, walked four, struck out five, uh, ERA of nine six four. Don't care. Get out of it healthy. Shut him down. Give him a normal offseason and see what it looks like uh, going into spring training. Now, one of the things I did here is that there was maybe just a little bit of he was hesitant at times. And I, I get it. I mean, you throw 105 and you have arm issues and it's your career. You might be a little bit uh, hesitant. However, I think if you get a normal offseason and you come through that healthy and go into spring training, and by all accounts, looks like he may be stretched out. That's one of the talks of the Cardinals, stretching him out to be a starter. Don't know if he would finish that way. Do you start him in the minor leagues? Does he go into your bullpen as a long reliever? Or, I mean, long reliever is kind of a thing of the past. But a guy that give you multiple innings, maybe that's the direction you go. I mean, you could go into next year, BK, with two guys that have the experience of being in the back end and I don't think it's far-fetched to say this, to where Jordan Hicks and Alex Reyes could be multiple-inning, high-leverage guys coming out of your bullpen. May not be a closer, may not be a starter, but those innings in the middle and tight games are important. They could be those guys. Hicks is one of those guys that um, I, I felt this way with Michael is coming into this season. I'm not expecting anything. I'm hopeful. I, I want to believe that he can get back to where he was previously, but given the injury questions that we've seen from him over the last couple of seasons, I just can't expect anything. So I think the Cardinals this offseason have to operate as if they get nothing from him next year. Yeah. And if they do, great. You just got a guy who was one of the best closers in all of baseball, and now you can use him wherever. He can become a chess piece for you. But going into the season and going more specifically into the offseason, I'm anticipating that he will not help my big league club. Next so year, then the question, you know, becomes uh, because you were counting on, let's say, Michael is going into this year and others. It, does that then make you want to go out and spend on pitching? If it's me, I am. I'm going to make sure I'm covered one way or another. I'm going to go find some of these guys, whether it's Lester, you want to bring him back or Jay Happ or there's somebody else that you had on your radar that you like. But I'm going to go out and find some experience because I'm not sure I can count on guys being healthy. Can I count on guys like Oviedo stepping up and being able to be a factor and not hope for four innings or five innings and five, you know, not walking five? Is Matthew Libertor ready to make this next step? I'd like to think so, but I can't. I, I want to go on some for sure's that I bring into the organization that if we have injury or we have uh, a lack of, of success with somebody, I can go to a fallback and say that that guy fits what we're trying to do. Yeah. I think I would spend on one starting pitcher, like talking five, $10 million, somewhere in that range, a guy who can be at the back end of my rotation and can give me innings. Uh, I think that is worthy of, of spending on. So that way you don't have to count on those young guys being ready to go on day one. And then did you see the move they made last week with a, a gentleman by the name of LJ Newsom? Yeah. This is the kind of move that I would like to see them make more of. Uh, I don't know when or if he's going to contribute next year. He had Tommy John this last season. I think it was in May. So he could be back. I think the timetable is like mid-year next year, yep. mid-2022. He does not walk guys ever. It doesn't happen. He's like a 2% walk rate for his career, which is outstanding. 
And the thing that's hurt him is the long ball. Well, he plays in Bush Stadium now mm-hmm. where there aren't a whole lot of home runs. These are the guys that I would be targeting. Guys that Cincinnati flat out cannot sign. Because when you sign them there, well, it's going to be bombs away all day long. Yep. When you sign them here and you're playing at Bush Stadium, you can get away with it a whole heck of a lot better. So find guys that are throwing strikes that might not have the wipeout slider that people are paying 10, 15 million dollars a year coming out of their bullpen, but they're going to throw strikes for you. And if they give up contact, yeah, maybe it gets hard, but in Bush stadium, it suppresses that from being a home run the way that it is elsewhere. Find more of these guys and they can come on the cheap. And I think that's something that I would be targeting for my bullpen. Well, I think you might be getting an indication of that when the Cardinals drafted Michael McGreevy this last year. They realize that there's a good chance that for the next, let's say, two, three, four years, that period of time, you're going to have Goldschmidt, Arenado. You're going to have probably the combination of some sort of O'Neill, Bader, Carlson. Those guys are going to be around. Now, maybe you trade one or two, or maybe somebody walks away, whatever. But you, you get my point here is that you're going to have pretty yep. good defense. Um, and that's why you get a strike thrower. McGreevy is one of the best, if not the best, in college baseball this last year. And what did we find out? I mean, just a simple thing of, oh, man, if we got guys that throw strikes, doesn't necessarily have to be a strikeout. But if we get guys that allow the ball to be put in play, this defense is elite. I thought it was the best defense in baseball. And that's not a homer saying that, that the numbers bear that out. It just showed you have the gold gloves to prove it. Yes. And you had fielding Bible awards and things of that nature from even Tommy Edmond was ahead in certain things you looked at ahead of Colton Wong. So you're going to be very good defensively. Idea would be get people that throw strikes. You good? I'm good, man. Daniel Descalso next. Can't get enough cards talk. You've come to the right place. Back to more of the Danny Mac show with BK on 101 ESPN. to believe it was uh, 10 years ago today tonight that the Cardinals won in game seven of that 2011 World Series and a big part of that was Daniel Descalso who's been kind enough to join us and always comes on and never says no and he's always great when we get him on Daniel good morning to you and uh, thanks for hopping on yeah Danny Mac BK good to talk to you guys again you got it Uh, where do we find you today by the way uh, just finished school drop off back home in uh, Danville, California. I got my got my coffee ready to go now, and uh, try to see what I can do to uh, keep myself busy today. Absolutely. Uh, when you think of ten years ago, you hear that highlight. I get goosebumps every time. What comes to mind for Daniel Descalso? Yeah, same. Kind of just uh, get thrown right back into that uh, that scenario. Um, get those goosebumps. Um, you know, it's hard to believe. It's been 10 years. A lot has happened uh, since then, but um, you know, it's been a, it's been a fun uh, time to ce- celebrate that. The 10 years of that happening, you know, we had the reunion about a month ago, and that was a um, you know a great trip back to St. Louis with all those guys. So um, it's hard to believe it's been 10 years, but it's fun to look back on uh, those memories and those games. Was there any story that was told during that reunion that you had forgotten about, and, and you looked back on it then with just a fondness that you you forgot about previously? Um, you know, I think with so many stories being told, I mean, you have like 
Gerald Laird, who's a character, you know, talking about his version of a story and maybe another guy remembers it a little bit differently. Um, but just having all those guys back in the same place, we hadn't all been together, um, you know, since the day of the parade, really, um, to get everyone back back in the same room, you know, catch up with guys that, you know, maybe haven't haven't done a good job of, keep, of keeping up with. It was just fun to, to be, be around everybody again. I think about game six, and obviously David gets uh, so much of the attention, but, man, there were so many things in that game, and I love the fact that you and one of your best buddies, John Jay, uh, October rookies, you guys had four hits in your final four at-bats, including hits off of lefties, and Tony LaRusso said after that game, his quote was, if you watch his play and if you watch what Daniel Descalso did, he's been as clutch as anybody on our club. You were always a clutch player, and then it happened again in the Washington series and so on and so forth, and you were always in those late-inning situations, and more times than not, you came through. How were you able to do that, Daniel, to slow the game down and have success when the, the chips were all on the line? Well, you know, I think it's easy as, a, as an athlete and as, as a human when you get into a spot like that, um, you know, you, you want to come through, you want to be the guy that gets the job done. And sometimes we can uh, get caught up in the moment and, and the game speeds up on you. You try to do a little too much. That uh, that heartbeat gets a little too fast. So, you know, for me in those spots over the years, I've tried to, you know, simplify it as much as possible, even down to the point of, all right, first job, you got to get, get a good pitch to hit. That, that's number one. Second job, put a good swing on it. You know, don't worry about where the ball goes. Don't worry about getting a hit, driving in a run. Don't worry about it. if you make an out, the game's over. Like, you know, just try to simplify it as much as possible. Take a deep breath in between pitches, you know, before the at-bat kind of, you know, try to slow your heart rate down a little bit and, and go from there because it can be easy to get caught up in the moment. Um, for whatever reason, I was able to slow the game down a little bit in situations like that, and I think that's what really helped me. Daniel, how much of this postseason have you been able to watch? And, and if much, what's been your biggest takeaway thus far? Uh, you know, I've been I've been following it, uh, you know, pretty closely, especially when, um, you know, I, I watched that Dodgers-Giants uh, series. Uh, a lot of people in the area are big Giants fans. I uh, definitely watched the Cardinals wild card game. Um, you know, it's just I, I love postseason baseball. You know, you just you, you can watch the games throughout the season and, and the attention to detail might not be there and the little things might not show up. But when you're watching postseason, postseason games, you know, it's one pitch one play that, that can really make the difference. And, and that's why there's nothing better than October baseball. Last time we talked to you was right before the 11 reunion. And you were saying, Hey, I'm still in shape, still trying to think about playing baseball. Um, how about this off season? Are, are you still looking to catch on with a team? Do you want to play? Do you want to coach? Do you just want to be a dad? What, what are you doing? That's a great question. It might be like the million dollar question. Um, <laughs> I, I, I don't know. I'm, I'm kind of trying to figure that out right now. Um, you know, if, if the right opportunity comes along to play, I would not say no. Um, I've, I've been talking to people that have recently transitioned to the other side of the game just to kind of feel out how that transition went, what might be um, an intriguing role for me, something that interests me and something that I would like to do. Um, you know, it's hard with, with a young family. I My wife just had uh, baby number three about two weeks ago. So kind of navigating through that. Thank you. And so... <laughs> Trying to find something that, that fits with, with our life, but um, uh, lets me get stay on the uh, stay in the game and, and learn how the other side works. So I'm um, just trying to kind of feel my way through this, this next chapter and uh, see what's out there. Would you rather go the coaching or the front office route if you decide to go on the other side, Daniel? Well, I, it's a, that's another great question. Um, <laughs> 
because I think there's value in both. Uh, I, I would like to learn how the other side works, um, maybe from a player development front office standpoint where I can kind of, you know, learn about the coaching side, player development side, the draft, scouting, and kind of maybe something really jumps out at me that I, where, that really, uh, that I would like to do. But there, it would be, if an opportunity came along to get in the dugout, eventually I think it would be hard for me to pass up. I had so many great coaches in my career that, that helped me and, and, and passed along the wisdom that they learned. And I tried to do that as a player. And, and I feel like I have a lot to bring in that role. And, it, you know, sometimes thinking about the front office, it just feels far away from the playing field and a little bit, um, you know, disconnected from the player. So that's something that I'm trying to figure out as well. As you well know, Ali Marmol is now the, the new manager here. Um, I'm assuming you may have your past cross his players. I think they did in the minor leagues. On and, beach, I think. Yeah. And if so, uh, tell us about your relationship with Ali. Yeah, so Ollie and I were same draft, 2007. Uh, we played in Batavia a short season that year, and then Palm Beach the next year. We actually were roommates um, that year. I think he got, I think he got sent down about the halfway mark. Um, but we lived together for a little while, and you know, Ollie is just a—he's one of those great teammates. Um, I'm, we've all come across people that, uh, you know, you're having a conversation with them, and, and you feel like they're just waiting for you to finish so they can say what they want to say. Well, that—that's not Ollie. He's when you're speaking, he's he's one of those guys that you really feel like like he's invested in, in what you have to say. He's really you know interested in 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 you as a person, and he's giving you his full undivided attention. And that's something that always stuck with me um, about Ollie. Uh, you know, on on the field, he didn't play as well as he would have liked. Um, you know, but he always held himself to a high standard, and I feel like he's going to hold those players in in that uh, in that locker room, that clubhouse to the same high standard and, and, you know, for him to already have relationships with these, with these players, being a younger manager, that's going to help him. That's going to go a long way. And cause these guys know that he cares uh, and that he's invested in them as people. Daniel, when you were around him, could you get the sense that he would be a manager or a coach of some capacity in the future? Is that the kind of guy that you felt like he was even 13 years ago? You know, I, I can't sit here and say that, that I saw that, um, you know, he did transition into coaching relatively quickly. You know, I, I had just got to the big leagues. He had just started his first year coaching. And um, so our paths kind of, you know, went separate ways. But I, it was nice to catch up with him over the years, um, you know, whether it was running into him when he was coaching first base and, and just, you know, hey, man, you're doing a great job. It just, it's been fun following, following his ascent up the coaching ladder. Um, but, you know, looking back on it, the way that he treated people and, and the way that uh, that he prepared and, you know, the way that he valued relationships, it, it makes a lot of sense that he's doing so well. It was right around the 2011 reunion when the Cardinals of this year took off. Did you see 17 games in a row coming? <laughs> I don't think anybody did. I don't think you can ever see 17 yeah. games in a row coming. You know, it's it's so hard to win, to sweep a team in a series, let alone rattle off 17. You know, one guy has a bad night on the mound, and that streak's over. But um, that was fun to follow. Anytime, that's just a special a special thing to do. You, there's a lot of guys that, that would never be a part of something like that. And, and to do it in September to catapult them into the postseason makes it even more special. Daniel, you've been around a lot of good managers in major league baseball. What is it that makes somebody a good manager in your mind? What are the qualities that they have to have to be able to, to live up to those kinds of expectations? You know, a lot of people want to say it's the, you know, X's and O's, so to speak, or making the moves, you know, the, the game kind of dictates that to you, the score the game, um, you know, the situation in the game, who's in the bullpen, who's on your bench, that, that stuff kind of takes care of itself. Um, 
but the managers that I think that are the great ones are the ones that are the great communicators. The, they, they communicate with the 25th, 26th man on the roster the same way they do the superstar. They don't treat them the same, but they're going to, they're going to be straight with them and, and, and tell them what their job is. Um, and just the guys that, that invest in, in those relationships and, uh, get the, get the team to buy in and, and to trust them. Those are the guys that can get the most out of their players. I'm curious in 2011, you're on the field at third base. You know, most people forget David freeze was taken out and a lot at the end of uh, games for your defense. Cause you were so efficient and, uh, an excellent at defense. I believe you're a finalist for the gold glove that year. So you, you got to live out a boy's dream or anybody's dream to be on the field for that final out. What's going through your mind is Jason Mott, who is a former catcher, is on the mound. You got your buddy in Alan Craig in left field, John Jay, Skip Schumacher, David Freeze, the hero. I mean, all these guys that you know and came up with. What can you? It's kind of a crazy question, but do you, do you remember what's going through your mind going on the the field for that final inning? Yeah, you know, uh, you're trying to trying to soak it in a little bit because you know, let's face it, the game was. I mean, we pretty much had that game locked up with Jason on the mound had been great. We were up, you know, I think four or five runs at that point. And so you're trying to soak in the moment a little bit, trying to focus on, on the job at hand, telling yourself, be ready for this ball to get hit to you, but don't screw it up and, and let it lead to a big inning. So all sorts of stuff, you know, rolling through your head. You know, then when, when he gets, he comes set, uh, you, that kind of, you know, washes out of there and you focus on the, uh, focus on being ready if the ball's hit to you. So, you know, all, all sorts of stuff. Like I said, we are human. Uh, lots of lots of emotions going on, lots of thoughts through your head, but uh, just trying to clear it out once that pitch is delivered. It's so awesome. And uh, 10 years ago tonight, Game 7, and the Cardinals won that at Bush Stadium, and Daniel Descalso will always be a world champion and always welcome back here in town and always a fan favorite. Hey, uh, David, congratulations. Uh, Daniel, excuse me, I was thinking of David Freeze. Daniel, congratulations <laughs> on the new baby, and uh, don't be a stranger. Make sure you're uh, keeping in touch with us of what's going on because we want to keep in touch with you. Danny, why are you always thinking of David Freeze? Come on. I, I, you know, I don't know. I started, I was actually looking at my iPad and I, I was looking at something from game six and there's David and then I was talking about David and it goes to you. I can't get him out of my mind. Hey, it happens you know? to me every day, Daniel. You just have to deal with it for five minutes. <laughs> yeah, I got, I got you. That's I heard, hey, by the way, I, I yeah. hear that your text uh, chains with you and David and a few others that are on, it gets kind of nasty. There's a lot of trash talking going on right now. Well, you know, I, I'm telling you, if Jim Hayes could get his hands on those group texts, he could have, <laughs> hang, hang a lot over our heads, and he could get us to do any interview anytime. But we're doing our best. We're doing our best to keep it, keep it out of the cat's hands. I, that's what you have to do. I'm telling you, he's a, he's a journalist. You know? know, he's always digging <laughs> for that story. Hey, Daniel, he's great. Always, to, he's always scooping. Yeah, you got it. Hey, thanks, Daniel, for coming on. Always great to catch up. All right, guys, have a good one. You too. That's uh, Daniel Descalso. I thought you were the scoops guy. I Well, I think he was kind of referring to that a little uh. bit. Give me a little love on that one. I like that. He was awesome. I, I got to tell you, being around that team, and it was really a transitional period in the organization because you had Edmonds roll in. Prior to that was Big Mac, but you had veterans, right? And then these young guys, we had heard about them. We'd heard that, hey, there's this young group of players that's pretty good coming through, and they're going to help this team. a lot of success team. in the minors, right? They, they did. In terms of like win, winning at yes. a high level in oh, the yeah. minors. And so all of a sudden, they all just started showing up at the same time. Like like David Freeze, when they made the trade, Edmonds went to San Diego, and they got him here. Well, Alan Craig was playing third base. 
So they had to actually move up guys and, and transition them to keep them in positions. And they all became friends and they're lifelong friends now. But um, it was just fun to see those young guys come together and then to win a championship at the major league level. And your buddy's catching the fly ball and left and the other guy's on the mound and you're looking around and you're running in, hugging each other with John Jay. I mean, it's pretty cool man it's awesome and that's that's one thing that is special about having a core group of players that comes through at the same time it's rare it's hard to do because i mean you have to get basically whether it be a draft class or um if you're able to hit on a few trades that are all right around that same age it's really difficult to do but that is one of i'm not saying the cardinals should tank they absolutely should not but one of the benefits of tanking is that you can kind of go that route where you've got a bunch of guys that are coming up together and those bonds that they're able to create in the minors are super meaningful and they show in a big way, especially in the postseason. I, I read a quote from uh, David Backus the other day about how difficult it is to win a Stanley cup, Dan, and I'll tie this back in. I promise um, he was talking about how the, the hardest part about it is that you'll have whatever, 25 guys and you've got two of them that aren't quite pulling in the same direction, the way that everybody else is. And once you have those two that start saying, you know what? This is too hard. I'm going to start rowing in the other direction. It's over. Your team's done and you're going home. The same is true in some ways in the postseason for baseball. If you don't have that all going in the same direction at all times, it's over. The interesting thing about when you're talking about tanking, okay? So I think the Astros are going to face this here in the next year or two. The Cubs have faced it this year. Is that if you draft properly and you're drafting that high, you can't miss. And for the most part, those teams did not miss. And then the other thing is, as those young players progress at a rapid pace and they come together, and all of a sudden they're on the same trajectory towards free agency, if you don't stagger contracts or figure out how am I going to fix this and make sure it fits into my budget, it's very tough to keep those cores together. Now, it can happen, but you got to be creative and you got to know representation does the player love it here is he willing to sign for less where i know this guy there's no chance he's going to sign for less can i go to that player early and say hey we'll we'll buy out our beers and some free agency years because we know you need security for you and your family um those things are always the dynamics that you don't think about when you're just watching the game but the business side of that when you decide to do that is very tough to keep that core group intact it's just hard to do and whether or not it's Chris Bryant or Javi Baez and Anthony Rizzo when they made that deal and then you supplement with veterans like they did with Jason Hayward and others um, that they thought would be the right move you can't miss because those guys come up and all of a sudden I mean you could look at this offseason where Bryant Baez Rizzo all could easily easily cost you over 300 million dollars and that's on the low end yep you know, I mean, and, and you got to think Bryant's going to make big, big money. Rizzo uh, was offered 75. Baez at the height of when they thought they might be, it was well over 100 million. I mean, that's tough to keep that intact and then keep winning because you've already just exhausted your your payroll on three guys. So you got to be creative with it and you better hope when that window's open, you strike it rich. Yeah, I mean, I'm a Royals fan so that I can speak from that experience. Like, They had a four-year stretch where they had any sort of chance to really compete. And once that was over, it was done. Lorenzo Cain went elsewhere. Eric Cosmer elsewhere. The one guy, the two guys that they were able to keep were Alex Gordon and Salvador Perez. And now Perez is still there. But Gordon ended up retiring. And now the only guy that really remains from that run is Salvador Perez. Where did uh, Escobar go? 
He he's with the Nationals now. I always he, liked him. He's a good player. He ended up like his skill set just doesn't it didn't age very well because he doesn't sure. walk at all. Right. Um. And so he he didn't end up having as lengthy of a career as some of the other guys. But that's just another example of what you're talking about. It becomes very difficult, especially if you're not a big market club like the Dodgers, for example. Eventually, you got to pick. And if you pick wrong, like I think the Cubs did in some respects, you're screwed. And then you go into this downhill spiral where it's going to take another three to five years to load up again. I will admit, I am shocked that the Cubs did not keep one of those three. I thought one of the three, they'd say, okay, uh, Rizzo's kind of the, the face of our franchise. He was there at the downtime. He was there at the championship. So there's, um, we'll pay for that. And he's still productive, and we'll, but we'll pay for that. I wonder if they'd still do. I wonder if this offseason they sign one of them. It's going to be tough, but I wonder if they try. Yeah. Uh, will they be aggressive? They say they will in free agency. <laughs> we'll see. We'll see. All right. You've got your show coming up. What do you have? Yeah. So coming up at 1130, very excited to talk about this. I know you guys discussed it on the morning show as well, Dan. Mike Florio of Pro Football Talk will join us to talk about the uh, Stan Kroenke news from yesterday. He apparently doesn't want to pay for some of the lawyer fees, and then we'll see what happens on the settlement if it comes to that. So that is becoming very interesting. We'll talk you, to you know Florio. What? We got to get a guy on here. In what's the word? The indemnity. Mm-hmm. Okay, all right. I'll let you struggle through that one. I just say the clause that he signed. Yeah, the indemnity clause. <laughs> what does it mean? You know, like what does it truly mean? So I'll ask is, Florio about that. So is he on the hook for the the lawyer fees, which he apparently is paid primarily most of those? Mm-hmm. Or if and when a settlement happens, is he on the hook for that or is he involved because a lawsuit will include the other owners? I think the owners are wondering the answer to that question oh. right now. <laughs> so, yes. Uh, well, my- I said to Randy, by the way, real quickly, I said, yeah. hey, if I'm a, if I was one of those owners that was in that room in the relocation uh, meetings in Houston years ago and I said, man, I'm not really behind this plan. I, I don't like it. I voted against it. And now I'm going to be charged millions of dollars, hundreds, potentially millions of dollars to make this thing uh, go away. Or uh, that's where the settlement goes. And we'll find out in early January if there's not a settlement prior to that. I mean, I'm waking up this morning or whenever that was and going, "Uh uh-uh, I ain't doing that. I'm fired up, man. There's a lot of owners that I would have to imagine have some choice words this morning for one Stan Kroenke. So Mike Florio was a practicing attorney. He now writes for pro football talk. He's really good on the legal side of things, and he's very connected at the highest of levels in the NFL. So I want to know. I want to hear that. Do what? When are you guys having a Eleven thirty. Eleven thirty. Mike Florio will be on the show, so I'm looking forward to talking with him. Joey Vitale, Blues analyst for 101 ESPN, joining us at twelve fifteen, and we will open things up talking about Jose Altuve, the Astros last night, the win that they had. I want to look at this five year stretch, Dan. When you look at this, and you have everything, you're taking everything into account: the cheating, everything, the scandals. How does that compare with what we've seen from the Dodgers over the last five years? Because I think the Dodgers have kind of been seen as the model. Are the Astros that model? We'll talk about that coming up here in just a little bit. All right. Looking forward to it. We'll talk to everybody tomorrow at 7 on 101 ESPN. Peloton, let's go. This holiday, with the right music and the right motivation from world-class instructors. We're going to pick it up a notch. It's the holiday season. You might just surprise yourself with what you're capable of. Work out to thousands of live and on-demand classes, from running to cycling to yoga. Try Peloton risk-free with a 30-day home trial. New members only, not available in remote locations. See additional terms at onepeloton.com slash home dash trial. Peloton, motivation that moves you.